kind of built to, especially in our culture, we're built to kind of edit our lives. Um, so, in terms of, yeah, Facebook, Instagram, all of that, we're all kind of built to kind of create some sort of illusion that our life is completely perfect all the time. Um, and with our photographs, we've gone from retouching being something that only a few people can do, um, making an image that doesn't look that great, look amazing, to something that everybody can do. Um, my, my niece can go and get an image and know how to up the brightness and up the contrast and put filters on it to make it look better, probably take up blemishes. And um, this has happened over the space of a couple of years, and we are now in the habit of kind of making things look more glorious than glorious than actually. Um, going from that, we don't only put filters and we don't only kind of retouch our photographs, but we also retouch our lives. Um, I know many a times, and I, I feel the pressure of kind of making your life seem a particular way online. And your life isn't that great all the time. But you have to kind of treat your life as like a, a trailer that is just continuously happening. And you have to like pick the best parts of your movie and that's the part that you show to everybody. Um, and it's, it's had a little bit of a... Uh, it's had a little bit of effect on me, but I know it's had an effect on a lot of us. Um, because we're always putting out this particular image showing that everything is, is alright. Um, by the end of the day, we are human, so there's so many different facets to us. We can't just show one aspect of our lives. Now, looking at that, retouching images, retouching our life, but then also as well, we're living in, bearing in mind, a consumerist society that kind of has taught us from day one that we, ha we cannot be happy unless we buy certain things, um, unless we have or attain certain things. And... We are kind of exposed to at least 7,000 adverts a day. Um, that's 7,000 reminders that you are not happy of where you're at right now at this moment in time. You need to buy this in order to feel happy. Um, 7,000 times a day. So we're kind of in this kind of culture that teaches us that we are not actually ourselves and we define ourselves by our jobs, we define ourselves by our careers, we define ourselves by... Um, our, the people that surround us, our talents, all these other things. We put filters in front of us. Um, but the topic today is no filter. And the idea is that when you come to God, none of these things really matter. And when you come to God, you have to come to Him as you are without any sort of filter. Um, so, if we can get our Bibles, if you have your Bibles, um, let's go to Genesis 3 from... I'm going to read from verse 1 to 10. And before we go any further, just so you know, um, I'm, I'm a writer, so I love writing. Um, and I have like a deep love for words, um, specifically the etymology of words. So if anyone doesn't know what etymology means, it basically means like the root origin of certain things. Um, so I love to kind of like look at a word and see where that word was invented or why people started using that word. Um, so I'm going to be doing that quite a few times when we talk about the etymology of certain words, just so when I say the word again, you kind of understand exactly what I'm talking about. Um, so Genesis, obviously, the front of the book, um, first book in the Bible, and we kind of get this picture of God 
making the planets God saying I'm going to kind of make my divine masterpiece and um, he says I'm going to kind of do something that's never really been done in the history of eternity um, which is kind of create a self-portrait and this self-portrait is known as man now the Bible says um, before we get to chapter 3 that man was made from the ground yeah so man was made from the ground and then God breathed into man um, which many people don't believe in this day and age um, but I would say from what I've seen when someone dies they do breathe out and they go back into the soil um, so the Bible kind of reverses that and says this is how man got originated got breathed into them from the soil um, now the etymology of the word human um, is basically two words hue and man so man means man but hue comes from the word humus which means dirt um, so when we say we are human we're basically saying that we are dirt people and um, we are people from the ground and uh, when God made Adam and he made Eve they were just dirt people um, but they had two components that made them more than dirt people they had their humanity which is dirt but then they had a second part which was divinity they had a connection with God they had a relationship with God um, and there was no mediums. You have to understand, in the Garden of Eden, there was no prayer, there was no fasting, there was no churches, there was no Bible. It was just me and God. There was a straight connection. Um, so, in and of themselves, they had nothing. They were just humans. They were just their people. But with God, they had everything. So now we get to this part, chapter 3, um, where Satan kind of figures out that he doesn't want this whole connection to happen and what he wants to do is try to separate the connection between God and man so they're no longer just they're no longer humans that have a divine kind of aura about them they're just humans they're just people from the dead right? alright so chapter 3 I don't know what version you guys have but I'm reading from the ESV version um, verse 1 says now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made he said to the woman did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, You may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed, they sewed big leaves together, and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, God among the tree, the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Uh, let me read two more verses. But the Lord God called to called the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? And then it goes on. So God gives Adam and Eve one simple rule. Yeah. You can enjoy earth as much as you want. There's just one tree, there's one fruit that you don't partake of. Now, 
we don't know how long they were obeying that rule, but then Satan came along and said, listen, God is basically trying to cut things out from you. He's trying to hide things away from you. As a matter of fact, you don't even need God. If you have this thing right here, then you could be self-sustaining. You'll find by yourself, right? Which we know was a trick. Um, he was probably the first slimy salesman, just like selling <laughs> stuff that you don't need. Um, but he said that the moment he said that, then Eve looked at it and then she saw it was good. She actually desired something that she didn't really desire beforehand. Um, but the most interesting part about this is that when they actually ate the fruit, that, that remember I was talking about the two components, the divinity and the humanity? The divinity part went. So that connection and that, that divine kind of communication that they had with God went and they just became humans. And because they were very aware of their humanity, we were saying before that humanity means a, a, a dirt man, because they was aware of the fact that, wow, I am just a dirt man, what they done is that they said, I need to cover myself. And they started to hide themselves behind fig leaves and trees. And that really and truly is one of the first signs of consumerism. That was one of the first signs of materialism. To say, if I just hide myself behind these leaves, then I'll be fine. So then God says, where are you? They say, I'm hiding myself behind these leaves. And then basically God ends up talking about this is how it's going to be all laid out. He basically says, this is what humanity is going to be like because of your choice. And because the reason why there's death, the reason why there's illnesses, all of that kind of madness that we have in the world is linked to this one decision that Adam and Eve made. Um, but one of the things that God done before Adam, uh, one of the things that God done before Adam and Eve left the garden, is that God says that I'm gonna put a covering over you. Um, I'm gonna get an animal, take their skin, and cover it over you. Um, basically implying that even though you've sinned and you've tried to cover yourself, you don't actually know how to cover yourself. So I have to be the one to kind of bring a covering for you. They probably wouldn't have thought of the idea of killing an animal, getting the, getting the, the skin and putting it over them. So, that's the front of the book. Let's go to the end of the book. Let's go to Revelation, last book in the Bible. Um, and let's go to Revelation 3, from verse 17 to 18. Alright, so, a bit of context for Revelation 3, um, verse 17. Beforehand, Jesus is speaking to various churches, um, and he has a few good things to say to some churches, and a few um, bad things to say, or a few areas of improvement. And in this church in particular, um, he's speaking to them and saying, well, you are neither hot nor cold. And he says, in terms of your spiritual life, I would rather you be in a hot state or in a cold state, but because you're lukewarm, then I'll spit you out of my mouth. Which is a very strong thing to say, but... He gives his reasons in verse 17. He says, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiful, or pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Then he says in verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve your and self to anoint your eyes so that you may see. So as we can see here, from the beginning of the book, even to the end of the book, men have been hiding behind fig leaves. Uh, men have had this whole idea, because I have riches around me, because I have all this kind of stuff to make me feel good, then that kind of makes me okay with God. And Jesus basically being able to see their spiritual state, saying, well... You think you're in a good place because you're saying that you're, you're, you're rich and you're prosperous and all that kind of stuff. But you say, in actuality, you're not in the place in which you should be. Um, 
And a lot of times, if we stop right there, then it feels a little bit uncomfortable to realize that we are poor and we're not in the place that we should be. Um, but then you see in verse 17 that he gives an invitation. The same way that he gave an invitation in Genesis, saying that you can't clothe yourself, let me clothe you. He says in verse 17, you can't clothe yourself, let me clothe you. Yeah. So there's many things that we can hide behind. Um, there's many fig leaves that we can have and almost filters that we can use to kind of try to define ourselves. We can define ourselves by the jobs we have. Um, to say that I have this job, so I'm this kind of person. Um, we can define ourselves even by our talents and our gifts. Um, we can define ourselves by um, a girlfriend. We can define ourselves by a boyfriend. We can define ourselves by our righteousness. Um, if we are a relatively good person, if we help like an old lady across the road, then we kind of consider that as a, a way of buying out our way into heaven. Yeah? We consider all these kind of things as, 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 as means on kind of seeing ourselves as great, but God is saying that it doesn't really mean much. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that righteousness in our regard to God is like filthy rags. So even if you were to try your best, it's still not hitting the standard. And even though that may be a hard truth to swallow, God is saying, let me be your covering. Let me be the one that helps you out. Um, for me, saying before, like when it, the, the etymology of human means to be a dirt person or someone from the ground, a lot of the times I define myself by my gifts, I define myself by um, what people say about me. And then there are moments, I don't know if you have these moments, but there are moments where I will sit down and I just say, well, what if I just strip all these things away? If, if I just take away the talent or take away people around me or take away my race? Take away where I come from. Take away my gender. Take away all these things. Who am I? Who's the essence of me? And I don't know if you guys have done that, but if you do decide to do that, you'll probably get the same feeling that Adam and Eve felt the moment they ate the fruit, which is you understand your humanity, but there's something missing. And that's the divinity part. And you would either find a way of filling that divinity part with more stuff, which is the stuff we use, the filters we use in order to define ourselves, or use that as an excuse to run to God. So in that emptiness, in feeling like, wow, I've lost something, which is what Adam and Eve felt, you either run away from God or you run to God. The thing about it is that Jesus came for you. Like Jesus is here for you. He's not, like, a lot of the times the Bible says that he didn't come into the world to condemn the world. The world was really condemned already. He came to save you. So a lot of the times I have friends that I say, oh, why do you come to church? And they're like, oh, well, when I get X, Y, Z in place, then I'll come to church. Or when, when, when this thing is doing all right in my life, then I'll come to church. And God is saying, well, that's all fig leaves. Because even when you come to me, you're going to have to get rid of that stuff anyway. Um, God is basically saying that in order, for, in order for you to feel that fulfillment, you have to really understand your humanity. And once you understand everything that you're not, you understand what God is and what he can be for your life. So Jesus, looking at Jesus' life, he was one who, even though being God, even though um, having, such a, ha having such a powerful stance, he was able to hang around 
well, they say tax collectors, but nowadays it'll be drug dealers, I suppose, and prostitutes. Now, hanging around drug dealers and prostitutes when you are so-called a son of God is not, it's not seemly. It's not something that you would necessarily put the two and two together. So there were religious people at the time called the Pharisees, and they were the religious people of the time. They were like, they've got this religion thing down to, to keep, right? And they go to Jesus and say, well, how can you call yourself anyone spiritual when you're hanging around prostitutes and drug dealers? It doesn't make any sense because you say one thing, but your whole company that you hang around is completely against what you believe. And then Jesus says, those who are well don't need a doctor. Basically saying that if you are righteous and if you're in a good place in life, then you don't need me. As a matter of fact, I'll go, I'll go as far to say, if anybody's righteous, if anyone is good, you don't need to come to church. You don't even need God. But the truth is, nobody is righteous. The Bible says that no one, no one is at a place where they can even come to God and say that they're righteous. God is the only one who's righteous. So, the reason why he was hanging around people who were these kind of people, the prostitutes and the drug dealers, is simply because they admitted that they were in the wrong. Etymology again. Jesus would hardly call out any sins, but there's one sin that you always call out, which is hypocrisy. So he kept saying, you hypocrites, you hypocrites, you hypocrites. And we understand hypocrisy to mean you say one thing and you do another. But when drama was first started, obviously we have plays all the time now, but when theatre was first started, the people that was on the stage, they'll put that one mask in one place and they'll put another mask at another time, um, basically changing characters all the time. They'll be known as hypocrites, which is basically an actor. So we now call them actors, but before they were called hypocrites. So when Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees, and he was saying, you hypocrites, he wasn't just saying, you say one thing, you do another. He's saying, you're acting. You're pretending to be righteous, and really and truly, you're human. You need, you need me. And these people who are, they know they're in sin, they actually are showing that they need God. Um, so God is saying to us, I can only help you as much as you feel you need help. And if we are hypocrites in terms of being an actor, because many times people say, oh yeah, I don't go to church because it's full of hypocrites. But if you really, if you really deep it, everybody is a hypocrite. Like, everybody's acting. If you really see the etymology of the word, everyone's acting to a particular degree. And Jesus is saying that I can only really help people who are not in the acting business. People who actually say, listen, this is exactly where I am. Um, and that's why, that's why the, the word humble is actually connected to the word human, right? So humble is really the same root origin, it means dirt, it means like ground. So being humble doesn't necessarily mean that you, you, you speak yourself down and you like kind of see yourself less all the time. Like being humble just means to realize that you're human. And once you realize that you're human and you see everything that you're not, you understand everything that God is. Alright, one last scripture. Um, it is Second Corinthians 12, um, verse 
Yeah. Second Corinthians 12, verse 9 to 10. All right. So again, context. Um, Paul in this whole chapter is talking about the fact that there were religious people at the time, and they were kind of doing particular things to kind of earn their stripes as a Christian. Um, so if they were Jewish, then they will say, well, I'm a Jewish person, so that makes me more of a Christian than this man. Or if I'm a Pharisee, it makes me more. Um, if they were persecuted or X, Y, Z, then they, they felt that would make them more of a Christian than the people that they were actually pastoring. And Paul kind of makes the, he makes the argument to say, well, I'm, if that be the case, then I'm, be, I'm, I'm in a better place than all these guys, because I've been persecuted than most of these guys. I was a stronger Pharisee than most of these guys. Like, I'm in a better place. But then he kind of says that when he kind of like talks about his credentials and what makes him a Christian, he says, I'm speaking as a fool. I'm speaking as someone that doesn't really know what he's doing. Um, and then in this part right here, he speaks about the fact that we don't know what his issue was, but he said that he was going through something very bad. Now, now bearing in mind that he was persecuted, like everywhere he was going, people wanted him dead. So he speaks about this specific problem that was a problem. So if this is a problem, it's a real problem, yeah? And he said that he went to God three times to say, take away this problem from me. And then Jesus responds in verse 9 says, But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Then he says, therefore, I will boast all, all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Verse 10, for the sake of Christ then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So Jesus responded to Paul and said, You are in a place where you are extremely weak, and you cannot go any further by yourself. And then Jesus kind of steps into the, the place and says, Well, this is a perfect time for you to actually understand who I am. Because in your weakness, that's where I'm able to show you my strength. In a time where you feel like you actually cannot go any further, that's when I'm able to step in. So then he makes this argument to say, well, you guys are all boasting in your, in your strengths. But he's saying, well, I boast in my weaknesses. Because even though I kind of see God in my strengths, I really see God in my weaknesses. In those times where I really can't go any further, God comes through. And I, I don't know if I can say the same thing. I don't know if I can say, yeah, I'm, I'm bossy of all my weaknesses. Like, for me, that, that's, that's a strong thing to say. But that's the argument that Paul is putting across there. He's saying that it's all right to be human. It's all right to understand that we are people from the ground. But at the same time, when you feel that emptiness, when you feel that void that needs to be filled, it's not a thing where you fill it with more stuff. So you run to him and say, well, I need you to fill this. Because really and truly, a lot of the time, when you see people just going on a crazy one, just filling their lives with a whole bunch of stuff, it's really Jesus that they need. Yeah, it's really that God, it's really that God that they need to, because really truly it's, it's a it's a God-sized void. Only God can kind of fill that void, right? Alright. So spoke about being human, spoke about being a hypocrite in terms of acting and stuff like that. Um, also spoke about humility, where humility isn't necessarily where you just like chat yourself down, but it's where you actually understand that you're human and you need help. Um, which is funny because the Bible always talks about being human and, and being humble, and before humble, that, before humility, that's where honor comes in. Um, but it says like, 
destruction comes exactly when you feel proud, when you feel like you can do everything yourself. Um, so I want to break down one more etymology for you. The last one is sincere. So the word sincere um, obviously means to be truthful. But the etymology of the word sincere actually means without wax. That's what it means, without wax. Um, so sin means without, sere means wax, apparently. And what it means is, just say for example, um, Claude wants to go uh, have a statue of himself. And he wants to kind of have something in his garden that he can kind of show his friends and say, this is a statue of me. And he kind of goes to the person who is a artist and gives him, obviously shows him his face and all that kind of stuff. And the artist goes around, spends the next couple of weeks just trying to get the face right. And as he gets the face right, he messes up a little bit because he chops off the nose. Yeah, now this whole thing is made of marble. So you can either do two of the things. You can either make the nose smaller, which ends up changing the whole face, or you can like do the whole thing again, but then it's a bit expensive because then you have to get marble, marble is not cheap. So what a lot of craftsmen were doing at the time is that they would get some wax and they will mould it where the nose is. So it looks like marble, but it's not marble. Um, but the person that's buying it wouldn't know it uh, until they buy it, put it in their garden. And then when they bring all their friends to show their new statue, they got a picture of like, there's a statue of Claude with the nose melted off, <laughs> basically. And what he would then do is get the statue, go back to the craftsman and say, you lied to me, this is not sincere. This is not without wax. So that's what sincere means. So in this whole topic about no filter, the truth of the matter is, Jesus dying on the cross, all this stuff that you hear about salvation, number one, it's for us, but number two, it's not just for church attendance. It's not just so you can be a quote-unquote good person. He wants what he designed you for, which was in Genesis, which is him actually having a relationship. Like he wants to know you. As a matter of fact, he's more excited about you than you. Um, he's more excited about your future than you. Um, and one of the things that he would, which he literally died for, was to actually get to know you more and then you get to know him. Um, but in order for us to do that, in order for us to make that, that leap, um, he's already done the work. He's done the hard work. He's, he's, kind of, he, he's kind of set the table up. In order for us to kind of dine with him, we need to be sincere. We need to be without wax. No filter, not acting, being human, and understanding that we do need it. Um, so I hope this word has helped you, and I hope that throughout um, throughout this week, when you're when you're praying, when you're when you're trying to get closer to God, kind of anything that you feel you're using as a crutch to kind of make yourself feel like, yeah, I don't need, I don't really need. I don't really need this whole good thing. Like, question it. Um, because at the end of the day, human beings are not designed to be by themselves. We're not designed to be autonomous. We're supposed to be people who are connected to those side. So um, I'm just going to close this in prayer, and then we're going to move forward. Baba, we thank you for your greatness, um, your grace, and the fact that you've designed us to be those who rely on you. Um, I pray that we don't, we're not too ashamed of our weaknesses, um, but we almost boast in our weaknesses to know that it's in our weakness that you are strong in us. Um, I pray, Holy Father, that throughout this course of this week, that every single one of us will be in a place where 
we will begin to see you more and more, and we'll begin to do what we're designed to be, or do what we're designed to do, which is to be in relationship with you. Um, we love you, we pray, Lord God, that you just bless us all. In Jesus' name I pray.